This is Train to Perform, the undisputed alpha podcast in training, fitness, and sports performance. Here, you'll develop your skills with the cold, hard facts in fitness, sports performance, recovery, and nutrition. Real, tried and true, evidence-based facts that have been proven to move you faster, move you stronger, and move you forward. Now, here's your host of Train to Perform, Julian Sisman. Hey, Train to Perform family. Uh, welcome back to this next episode. Today we have Dr. Josh Funk. He is the owner of Rehab to Perform, which is a physical therapy company in the DC metropolitan area and in Frederick and Mount Airy. Um, so it's a multi-location physical therapy company. Um, they focus on um, working with athletes, active adults, and individuals that want to become more active by focusing on movement and getting everybody better with movement rather than just focusing on the area that is causing pain. Um, th- they hope to reduce in- r- reduce the risk of injury and also help you be more empowered um, and, you know, kind of take ownership of, you know, the things that you can do and help you become a better person and active adult. Um, we talk about, you know, a bunch of different topics, um, you know, a little bit about the business side of physical therapy, but also how, you know, in certain areas, um, you don't need to actually go to a doctor, um, before you go to physical therapy. Um, we talk about, you know, different ways that they help you. Um, you know, recover from any type of surgery, um, injury, and, um, you know, their sort of philosophies on how to get somebody back onto the field or, you know, continue to participate in some hobbies that they enjoy. Um, We also talk about... Uh, ACL. Um, it's a you know it's always a big topic, um, especially with you know prepare for performance. Working with a lot of soccer athletes, um, we kind of dive into you know timeline and some different ways that they help the individual get back. Um, on their feet and um, what they use not only in the office, but also outside of the office to help, again, empower you to, um, you know, take ownership in your rehab as well. So a little bit more is discussed, but I hope you guys enjoy this. Um, It's a lot of insight into, you know, really what physical therapy can help you with um, and how to, you know, trust them and believe in their processes and, um, you know, how they build relationships with, you know, outside businesses to, you know, keep, um, you know, individuals active. So hope you guys enjoy. So uh, what have you been up to today? 
just work, training, um, just uh, trying to do some marketing stuff and kind of see what I can do the rest of the summer. Trying to get an idea of like what's going to happen with, you know, public schools. But, um, you know, just trying to connect with more kids, get more kids out to the gym. So. I don't think uh, you're going to have fall sports, buddy. I hate to say it. You don't, you don't think so? No, I really don't. Uh, if, if Texas isn't going to have high school football in certain places, I have a hard time thinking that Maryland's going to run sports. Yeah. But I don't know. It could be a public versus private difference. It could be a county by county difference. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out, you know? No, I, I think you're right. I, I think you're totally, totally right with that. Um, I mean, there's, I think it's going to be really based off of what happens next week when they make sort of the announcement of like what they're going to do. Um, I mean, look, you know, I'm, I, we have a bunch of college kids. A lot of those kids aren't going back. Um, but you know, so, or they're just doing like what uh big 10 is doing, like a conference only. Right. And, the the season's like a month long. It's kind of weird, but yeah, I might be trying to take a gap season or red shirt year or something. You know, yeah, I, I totally agree because it's like you paying all that money and you do it all that to like get a few games in. Like, what's the point? Yeah. So, um, so basically. What I, what I typically do is I just kind of get an idea of, uh, you know, what you do. Uh, obviously, okay. you're not really in – you're not really working in it, but you're more working, like, on the outside. But, like, you have an idea of, like, the whole situation. Um, get an idea of, like, uh, basically – you know, uh, what was, what was, what was your re well, let's get into a background on like, you know, why you got into PT. Yeah. I mean, it's always interesting because I typically will share this with students at career days of like, Hey, this is what I think, uh, are prerequisites for wanting to go down this path or being a great fit. I think some of it is just, uh, an inherent drive or, or something enjoyment with working with people, serving people, communicating to people. I think I've always just enjoyed in-person communication, talking to people. I've always enjoyed helping people. So that was something I think that was just always going. Um, grew up in a very active household as one of five. And I think that the competitiveness and the uh, amount of activities that we did growing up led me to wanting to be more active. It was very, very hard to see myself in a traditional uh, job environment. Uh, and then if you just look at some of my strengths, maths, math and science growing up, healthcare was a very, very natural fit for me. Yeah. So I went into college thinking that I was going to want to be in some kind of a sports medicine role, but honestly more of a orthopedic potentially. And I got hurt. So my sophomore year, I finally had a pretty serious injury, one in which I actually had to get my first MRI. Uh, and my labrum in my shoulder and my rotator cuff was torn. And 
I remember being told, hey, you're going to need surgery at the end of the season by the first person that I encountered that, you know, read my films, was our team doctor at the school. And just being a little bit like, just kind of floored, like, oh man, like I need surgery for the first time. What is that going to mean? How's that going to affect me? Am I ever going to be the same? And then I went through the season. I worked with the athletic trainer, the PT, the strength coach, uh, sport coach. I was able to play. Definitely was not a hundred percent, but was able to at least contribute. And at the end of the season, I remember thinking to myself, man, like my shoulder only really hurts if somebody hits me really hard, if I shoot really hard, um, or if I happen to like fall out and, and land, like very, very aggressive movements. I was like, I, I don't know. I mean, it's only been like two and a half, three months and shoulders feeling better. I don't, I don't know if I want to do the surgery thing. So I, I got a second opinion. And fortunately, the physician said to me, I've seen shoulders that are worse than yours when it comes to the imaging. And they did just fine with physical therapy. So maybe taking a summer of resting, working out, doing physical therapy without any lacrosse specific activities, you'll be fine. But if not, we can do surgery at the end of the summer. And that was it. Um, Between rehabbing uh, both with somebody and with information that had been provided to me by say like strength coach and my PT at school, the athletic trainer. I was in a position where I I could take care of myself a little bit more along with the guidance of my PT at home. And I've never had to get surgery. And I can say that after that, I was able to still shoot a little bit over a hundred miles per hour after that injury. So uh, that was kind of my path. And then, yeah, um, it was just, Actually, what's that? That's pretty interesting because, you know, uh, and I, I, I guess I can lead into a good question here. It's like, you know, how accurate are MRIs <laughs> in your opinion? MRIs are accurate. I mean, yeah. you can't, you know, this is not taking anything away from the MRI, but what we're having a shift in. Mm-hmm. is that there's a singular cause to an individual having pain and or losing function. Mm-hmm. We used to function almost predominantly off of a structural model where we would look at an image and we would go, okay, well, this person's insert X here hurts because this picture doesn't look like normal. But fortunately, through continued research, we are now in a situation where we're much more aware that a torn labrum for somebody that had played multiple years of baseball and lacrosse is probably found in a majority of the population. Now, a lot of those people are actually asymptomatic. I was asymptomatic before my, before I got hit, which is what kind of set everything off. And then after I was asymptomatic, the structure, we don't know exactly what happened structurally on that given day where I did get hit from the side, but the biopsychosocial model being a model in which we're able to explain pain and the experience of pain in a lot more situations. It doesn't necessarily devalue structure. It just adds to the fact that the, the pain, pain and the experience of pain is a lot more complex than just, hey, this image doesn't look the same. 
even in situations where you have degeneration and osteoarthritis, there are more factors that are going on. You have, yeah, you have biological side of the house, yeah. which structural could be found underneath that. Yeah. But there's also psychological and socialized uh, aspects to pain. Um, there are factors such as uh, met, that, uh, along the lines of mental health that tie into pain level reporting. Uh, chronic sleep deprivation also does affect um, people's pain level reporting. So recognizing that we're complex beings, yeah, we're, we're an interrelationship of systems and appreciating that structure is but a component. If I took, and there's studies out there to confirm this, you take major league baseball pitchers and almost, and I should say not almost, it is an overwhelming majority of individuals who had imaging that would look very comparable to mine. And they are still throwing heat, 90 plus, 100 miles per hour. So it just changes the conversation. Uh, it ideally puts people in a situation where they're able to uh, avoid some potentially unnecessary surgeries because if we just fix structure and we're missing some of these other factors and components, uh, we might still have pain after. Yeah. So changing the outcomes. And I think everybody wants to be conservative rather than going with something that's more invasive as well. Yeah. So kind of going back to the beginning, um, you know, you have rehab to perform. It's kind of different than the normal, like, PT office where they're sort of connected to a, you know, doctor's office type, type situation. I'm, sh I'm sure that's probably where you kind of started, like one of those offices. And then you kind of have your own thing now where it's like just PT where obviously in Maryland, you don't need a, a doctor's referral. You can kind of, if you find that you need a PT, you can you know, go to PT. Why did you go that? I mean, obviously you have kind of have to go that route, but like, what's the most benefit of that route for yourself, but also a somebody that's looking for physical therapy? I think I always wanted to be a, not, not just a PT, but eventually some kind of a, a, a business owner. Um, mm -hmm. So if I'm speaking specifically to the profession as a whole, I think really just wanting to take ownership over the profession. What you're referring to is physician to own physical therapy offices. So there's physical therapy um, that is owned. So there's a financial stake in that environment. Um, ours is independent. It is physical therapy uh, and a physical therapist owning the entity, the service, uh, and the operational side of that environment. Um, there are some POPs places that do great work. There are some physical therapy-owned places that do great work. But I think for us, um, being able to have the autonomy yeah. with regards to how things are run, how the profession is actually portrayed. Um, if, so, if, if another profession is kind of owning the other one, um, you know, there might not be the sense of ownership or autonomy present. It, the, the, the people that are in the other profession that is owned might not feel as empowered. But I think for us, really being able to be in the driver's seat, it's not to say that we view ourselves any more important than anyone in the medical or healthcare space. But when it comes to rehab, we feel very strongly that we are the experts in the physical rehab side of things. So the ability to take control of a plan of care, to coordinate with other healthcare professionals, um, 
is, is, is really what we value. In some of those other environments, you don't necessarily have as much autonomy. And I would argue that in an environment like ours, where you have PTs pushing the practice forward, as opposed to just, hey, we've got PT next door, it's right down the hall, um, that there's a sense of, per, uh, I don't want to, I almost want to use the word like, more like progressive. But uh, I would say that we're doing as much as we can to pro- push our profession and make sure that we're continually refining, delivering best practices. Um, appreciating the fact that our profession does have roots and did really originate from the physician side of things. But I think when you, when you really just talk about it and peel back the layers, ownership over the profession, ownership of what's going on, um, is, is a huge part. Um, and, and getting back to the fact too, I mentioned at the beginning, it doesn't necessarily make it inherently better. I just think when you appreciate the different relationships and how things run from a business standpoint, or from a coordination of care standpoint, um, you know, you you can best determine what you think um, may be best. And honestly, it, it comes down to being an educated consumer. We could go down a whole separate rabbit hole with this. Yeah. Um, in terms of questions that you can ask and things that matter, um, but just appreciating the different stakes and the different interests of the healthcare business that you are I- I- interacting with, I do think is 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 an important part for any consumer. Okay. So, I mean, and then like, like, you know, for instance, my case or anybody else that comes in, it's, it's a little bit easier to get into PT because, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong because you don't have to really go to a a doctor before. Is, is that you had to typically see a PT, uh, doctor in one of those doctor owned ones first, or can you just be like, yo, let me, I just want to go to PT. It, uh, a majority of people will not have to get a physician referral in the state of Maryland. Yeah. We have, we have some of the most progressive direct access laws. Yeah. So what we're trying to do from a profession standpoint is as a very, very conservative yeah. profession with regards to the services provided, if we can get people to appreciate that by going to PT first, yes. you're addressing a very, very conservative first stop, um, which might be better off than going to certain other professions where conservative measures and more costly measures um, are, are, are chosen instead of PT. I mean, I was just referencing a study today where we were looking at different uh, percentages of people who actually had PT before a total knee arthroplasty. And there was, you know, bracing in there, corticosteroid injections, um, PT, trying to remember what else uh, was in there, but PT was only performed 10 to 30% of the time before a total knee replacement. Now, total knee replacement is permanent. It's a very involved surgery. It's obviously very costly as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that we are the, you know, these amazing, hey, we could have avoided all of these total knee replacements, but I do wonder what the outcomes would have been even in the situations that somebody did have to get a total knee. Yeah. And I, I also will say, I feel comfortable saying that there are some people in that population that may not have needed a total knee replacement that conservative care and conservative management may have been exactly what they needed. So um, I think if you get back to your original question surrounding direct access, it once again 
I bring up the word or the phrase educated consumer. It puts people like yourself in the driver's seat. Where do you want to go? Who do you want to interact with? What are your outcomes? How do you do things? What am I going to be paying? Mm-hmm. And you can start to come up with what you think is best for your care. And it really changes the narrative uh, from the doctor will see you now to the patient will see you now. You're so educated that you are going to decide what your course of care is, what should be delivered to you, what ex- expectations and outcomes you should have. Um, you can look around for cost. And even if you just looked at average number of visits, we just talked about shoulder. Hey, what's your average number of visits for a shoulder course of care? Well, it's nine. Okay, well, I'm educated on, I know what my health insurance plan is, nine times 75 bucks. Okay, that's there. And then you go ask somebody else, hey, print your outcomes data out. How much, how many you know, visits do people typically come for a shoulder course of care there? 15. Well, why, why in the heck would I go to the place that's 15 yeah. visits? Yeah. Right? Now, there's other factors. I do think you need a balanced dashboard. So I don't want to say that's the only thing that you should look at. But there are certain things and questions that people should be able to ask more, not only to choose conservative care, but ideally put themselves in a situation where they're looking at cost effectiveness um, and then these long-term outcomes measures. Am I, am I doing things that avoid surgery or not? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I totally, I totally agree with you. I think, uh, you know, a lot of injuries um, that, you know, obviously except for like, you know, if someone breaks something and like tears something, it's a little bit different, but like, you know, very minor things. Like I think a lot of people, uh, you know, tend to, you know, immediately think like, oh, I need to go to the doctor. Um, except, except, and most of those people, you know, like you said, might not be that well educated on, you know, hey, let's see, let's see how I feel tomorrow. And then if it feels bad, like maybe I just go, you know, ask around or find some PT or something. I think that's one of the biggest, um, miss sort of missed connections, um, with a lot of athletes because, you know, as a strength coach, kids come in, sometimes they're like, Hey, I got like injured or whatever. I mean, my first, my first question is, you know, obviously, how do you feel? But I also ask, like, have you gone to PT? It's never like, have you gone to the doctor? Because, you know, the doctor is going to throw the course of, you know, some type of x-ray, MRI, or whatever. Um, I like to just say, especially if it's something minor, like, you know, maybe go to PT for like a few sessions, and it might be a little, you might be back on the road versus just like waiting it out. And, you know, resting, you know, like what, how would you answer this question is like this so-called resting after you feel like you've gotten injured and then you come back to training or whatever, and you're still feeling it. Like, do you get a lot of those sort of people that come in there after, you know, kind of wasting two, three weeks, like not doing anything? Yeah. I mean, I think there are situations which will demand rest. If you have trauma, you have a fracture, you get in a car accident, mm-hmm. you know, some of these more serious issues, mm-hmm. there are going to be some times where your, your body needs to actually really physically heal. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the injuries that people have are less or non-traumatic in nature. Mm-hmm. Even the incidents where most people you bend over and 
you throw your back out, and I'll use that loosely in quotes, um, you're still running into a situation where a lot of times your body's a great internal medicine cabinet. It just gets to a point where things feel better. Now, the sweet spot with PT is ideally we move away from focusing strictly on feeling better and we focus on things that may have led to the environment and the situation where you had that discomfort and we're educating on building a better baseline. So if I can build a better baseline and you can handle more stress, which is activity, physical stress is exercise, it is activity, um, then that's going to lead you down a path where you're more in control, you're more empowered, and ideally you're doing stuff differently to avoid something like that popping up again. But the feel better aspect is often what, what gets focused on too much. We only focus on pain. We don't function on fun- functionality. Um, but if we're talking about that acute injury, maybe resting for a 24-hour period, but ideally we are doing things to modify. I'm a lot bigger believer and our team's a lot bigger believer on modification as opposed to rest. What can I do differently? Okay, I can't do the level five. Can I do the level three? Okay, I can't do full tempo. Can I do a slower tempo? Okay, I can't do the 55-pound weight. Can I do the 20-pound weight? Okay, I can't go for 20 minutes. Can I go for 10 minutes? So looking at all the different variables um, that make up activity and exercise, and ideally manipulating those variables, looking at certain competencies that people have, looking at their capacity to do certain things, uh, if there's gross asymmetries, uh, and then sometimes just respecting what we need to do with regards to um, tissue and the actual resilience of the tissue to put it in a better position to handle load, handle the physical stress. So I always call us more of a consultant. You come to us, you tell us what your problem is, tell us what you want to do. And we try to reverse engineer that process, right? Yeah. If you want to get from A to Z, we're your guide or your consultant to ideally build out your needs analysis to put you in a position where you're at a new baseline. You're in a position where you're doing a physical activity routine differently based on how your body um, is presenting. Uh, and ideally put you in a situation where you're avoiding anything recurrent or chronic. Yeah. You brought up a, a great word that I, you know, or comment about asymmetry. Like how, how often is like somebody, I mean, obviously you can't be, you know, fully balanced on both sides. Um, it's probably impossible, but what is, um, you know, if you had to kind of educate somebody on something like, you know, we're going to try and get you as close to, uh, you know, some, not really some, I guess you could say symmetrical. Um, but you know, is it possible to get there or is it like something where it's just how the body is structurally built that things like that can't really happen? Well, we do have structural asymmetries. Um, but I think the biggest thing that we have to appreciate is that on a sports-specific level, when we're talking about sports-specific tasks, yeah. there are sports that are naturally uh, very asymmetrical. Yeah. So the problem that we typically will see um, and focus on more is these situations where, let's say that on a general level, for you, speaking your language, let's say 
some of the sports preparation looks a little bit more asymmetrical, but we get to GPP. We look at more general activities and it's a lot more balanced. Those are situations where I, I don't worry about it nearly as much. We need some sports-specific adaptation to probably be an outlier and to be a high achiever. But if I'm having situations where things like, you know, basic single leg competencies um, are, are very, very different. There's huge skews in terms of what I can access or positions I can get into from a range of motion standpoint. Um, I have significantly different, say, like force or strength production capabilities on one side versus the other. I mean, those are things that are fall under a category that's a lot more general. Yeah. I, don't have a, I don't have a soccer ball at my feet, and that's not my ability to kick a soccer ball the full length of the field on one side and you know, maybe 75% on the other foot. Like there's sports specific things that are just naturally going to happen as a result of just repetition um, and potentially getting into that uh, elite status. But GPP things involve things that are like a lot more like speed, agility, quickness, um, things involving just basic competencies. Like if I have you stand on one leg and I have you sit to a, a, a chair, it's super easy on one leg and then it's very different on the other leg. I would say I'd want to uncover more things and I'd want to look and see if there are other very general activities that I would have you do in which there's a significant uh, difference. So just appreciating that asymmetry sometimes is a, is a gift that allows us to be a high performer for some sports. But if I go to more basic PE type activity uh, and I'm seeing these gross or more, or, or more pronounced asymmetries, that being stuff that we'll focus on a lot more. So with uh, me being in a lot of <clears throat> me being in soccer um, and being around a lot of kids that have torn ACLs, not from me, but like just, you know, yeah. what, what do you, I mean, this can be, I can ask you multiple questions about this, but, and I know you guys talk about this a lot. Um, what, um, my first question is what is your opinion about return to play on timeline? Like, you know, there's all these things that, again, you guys had your, your, uh, your seminar last week and I think someone was talking about it, um, or somewhere you guys were talking about it. Some people return to play in six months. Some people can return to play, you know, sometimes earlier based on, you know, maybe last season or whatever, but based on your guys is like ton of people that have come in what has been the, the number that you feel is the best for kids to, especially young kids, um, to come back and be confident to play? I mean, even, even if it's not soccer, um, any other sport, um, what do you guys find like seems to be a good number? Research will support the nine-month mark. Okay. So um, at nine months, the risk of re-injury significantly decreases. I do not have that number in front of me, but at the nine month mark, it significantly decreases. We will communicate to people and let them know that that six to nine month is something that is at least accepted from a, from a, from a medical standpoint. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're referring a little bit uh, to Zach's presentation where we have had people who have passed all testing prior to six months we inform them that we don't recommend it. It is against medical advice, and that is hand-in-hand with their surgeon. But 
for one reason or the other, it is a final season for them and they want to do everything that they can to play. So all we can really do is inform people of their inherent risk. We can provide them with um, the, the facts, the, the research surrounding return to sport. Um, and at the end of the day, um, in those situations, those were people that were already adults, right? They were in college um, and they, they, they at least had the education necessary to make a decision. It then was up with up to us with the help of the surgeon to provide them with as much um, support um, and feedback as possible to even in those situations, try to keep them as healthy as possible. So kind of going, continue with some ACL stuff. So what's the, um, what's like, what do you guys find is like one of the bigger challenges on that rehab type work? Like, um, I mean, obviously everybody's a little bit different. Um, you know, I've torn it twice. So like, I kind of know everything. <laughs> so like, you have, you have, you know, one of the biggest things I think is extension. Um, and that range of motion in the knee. Uh, do you guys find it really hard for a lot of people post-surgery um, to get there? Um, and I have another question after this, but uh, do you guys find it hard to get there? Um, is it, are you able to do it well, you know, with them two to three times a week coming into PT or do you give homework and say, Hey, you need to, you know, continue this stuff at home it will help the, you know, accelerate the process to coming back to the field type stuff. I, um, I'm going to say something a little bit probably bold in the beginning yeah. and it's just to be mindful yeah. of an environment in which we are dealing with commercial payers. If you're in a university setting, things are going to be different, mm -hmm. but for people who are, Gen pop, they're using commercial insurance. Um, three times a week is a business model. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily a service model. You mm -hmm. have some people that have 30 visits for an entire course of care of ACL rehabilitation. Three times a week will only get you 10 weeks and the 30 visits will be expired. Yeah. So you have to be much more uh, mindful of the visit count and making sure that you are able to work with somebody so that you can work with them for an extended period of time. If nine months is the timeline, mm -hmm. you have to work backwards from there. Typically, we'll at least work backwards from, say, six to seven months. Um, but if we are discharging somebody after 10 weeks, you can imagine that sometimes the business side of rehabilitation is getting in the way of superior outcomes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will actually see people in the situation you mentioned where you've got knee extension. If we have knee extension early, we can deliver a very, very gradual progressive program, which does not require a lot of in-person contacts early on. The sweet spot, honestly, is where we can start to get to the point where we can jog a little bit more. That's where things start to get a little bit more fun. And I would argue there's a little bit more of a skilled component once you are returning to jogging and then you're starting to do more athletic maneuvers. But that early phase of ACL rehab is not one in which we should be crushing somebody's insurance plan um, mm -hmm. with a high volume of visits. Do you, so, 
provide them with things like, let's say you, you come like twice a week. Do you provide them with sort of quote unquote homework? Um, just so that they have things to do, um, you know, outside of just coming to you? Yes. Um, either sheets, they'll have ACL rehab sheets okay. that they can take home with them that they'll use to extend their session as well during their time with us. Um, and then we're using the whiteboard pretty regularly to write up things that they're doing in between sessions. Um, they can use videos on YouTube as reference. Um, but ideally, we are doing things to provide them with an environment to improve outside of just being in our four walls. If we only can do stuff in our four walls, that's not, a, it's not a, an empowering environment. Yeah. So the educational side of things, um, being able to explain things, especially to athletes who, I think we've had athletes as young as either 11 or 12 come in and go through a rehab process. Uh, but the ability to connect with them, allow them to understand the different phases and ways of progressing, uh, allows them to really be in the driver's seat. Uh, we also have email campaigns that go along with that ACL uh, initial encounter. So when that ICD-10 code, which is a diagnosis code, goes in at their first visit, they have emails that go out that support their course of care that continually educate them as well. Um, throughout their time with us. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, like I said, I've been through two, it's a, it's a journey. Um, but it's, uh, like you said, I think you're right about, especially with the, you know, crushing all the sessions, you know, in the first three, four months, um, you know, extending that time. I think it's really important because, um, I mean, it's not an injury to mess around with, especially, you know, if someone's really young and they got a lot of life or a lot of sport left to play. Um, I think, you know, it's important that they get the max out of the PT, the, the expert that's going to help them get to, you know, where they need to be. I mean, um, you know, obviously they can, you know, work with, you know, strength coach or whatever after or along with it. Um, but that, you know, that's not for a while after, um, let me ask you a quick question here. Uh, do you guys recommend, uh, and this can go for any injury, um, you know, pre-surgery, like say somebody comes into you knowing that they're going to possibly get surgery. Do you guys, uh, recommend like prehab type work like try to strengthen the the area around like something that might be like for instance like let's say acl you know it's already torn um do you guys say hey it's this is a great idea for you to do before you start surgery because it'll help post-surgery for the recovery because it might you know lessen the time so like saying giving them some kind of strength workouts to do yeah, I mean, there is more and more literature to support surgery prior or, or physical therapy prior to surgery. Okay. Um, this would even include what I was mentioning earlier with regards to total knee replacement. But if we can restore basic prerequisites of the joint, mm -hmm. let's just talk about range of motion. Mm -hmm. We are putting that knee in a better position to receive a trauma mm -hmm. to then rehab again. Mm -hmm. So let's. Let's say I'm level eight. I tear my ACL and 
I go down to level two with regards to the capability of that knee. I want to do everything that I can before surgery to get that knee back up to a level eight, knowing that if it's a level eight and I, then I go into surgery, it's only going to dip so much versus if I'm at a level two and then I go into surgery, think about oh, how much harder that climb is going to be. I might get knocked down all the way to level one. So the better position that I can put that joint and really the human body in a position to accept that surgery, um, the better off that I'll be. Yeah. Yeah. Cause <clears throat> I did that a little bit, a little bit of that before I uh, did my last ACL like three years, three years ago. Yep. Definitely feel that it made a huge difference in post surgery. I think like, especially with some of the like, um, you know, range of motion stuff. I think it was like yep. pretty quick on getting back to those, you know, normal ranges of motion. Um, and it's, it's really helpful. Um, so, um, next question. What is, what has been a, one of the, I mean, obviously, you know, we're, you know, as we're recording this, we're going through like the COVID thing, but just in general, even before this, like what has been, um, like one of your biggest challenges so far, um, you know, with regards to like business, um, and just keep, you know, keeping you guys at the level that you're at. I mean, I feel like you guys keep going up another level every year. <laughs> so, and it's great cause it's, uh, you guys provide a lot of great content and it's, it's helpful. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate that. And I think for me, the biggest thing that has probably been a challenge for at least my personality type, mm -hmm. how I like to do things, um, and then my overall level of experience, it is the ability to recognize what you cannot do um, either at all or well, and the ability to find key people on your team that provide the contrast that you need to have diversity of thought, diversity of skill, diversity of experience. So getting to a point where I was the Swiss army knife initially, where you were doing everything, mm -hmm. but my blade was super dull in certain areas. Um, and getting to a point where I could find somebody that would align with our company culture that would then fill gaps that we needed from a company standpoint. Um, I feel like we've done a really, really good job of it. I just, it, I can't, I can't state how important it is to have the people that we have at this point. Yeah. We have people that have very, very different experiences, ways of thinking, strengths, et cetera, as opposed to a very, very homogenous group. And I think that is what has allowed us to continually evolve. You add a new person in um, and they all bring a unique aspect to them to the table. Um, it forces everybody to continue to kind of you know, yeah, not only, you know, yes, that person's going to come in and they're going to kind of mesh a little bit with what you've already created, but they're going to kind of spin things their own, their own way. So, I mean, that part's been absolutely critical. And then for me on a, at least a, a more individual level, it is getting to the point where I've worked on the business more instead of working in. Uh, initially, we were providing just a tremendous service and I was part of providing that tremendous service, but we did not provide an amazing experience. The business and the delivering of a service is so much more than just the service itself. 
So I've gotten a lot more over the past, especially really, yeah, about a year um, to the point where I am working almost exclusively on the business. We've made a lot more progress. Um, I think overall, I feel a lot more uh, confident about the direction the company is headed in. And if you look at like just what's gone on the past two or three months, I don't know that we would have been able to handle what we handled as well as we handled if I was Mr. Full-time 50 to 60 hours a week of seeing patients anymore. So those two different buckets have been probably the biggest, biggest struggles. Yeah. So it sounds like the relationships of all the guys that, or, and ladies that you bring in are huge for you guys and helping provide that service. Uh, and experience. I mean, again, experience is the experience. Uh, I think it's the most important thing at, at, at for any business. Uh, yep. I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. And and talking about relationships, like how important is it? Like you know, your relationship with the community, like sport coaches, uh, strength coaches, like myself, um, and different physicians and other you know places that like you guys you know, probably rely on a lot as far as, I'm not a lot, but like, you know, those connections, you know, provide you with like referrals and, you know, other things that like you might, you might want to get into. Yeah. I mean, we've always just tried to make sure that we were uh, a more transformational business instead of just transactional. Mm -hmm. We're not just, Hey, we're here. We need a service. Like we want to be involved. We want to be involved in what's going on in the world around us. We want to be connected with people. We want to add value beyond just the, the service in our four walls. So uh, when we started out, we started uh, really, really making sure we had certain initiatives in five different areas, medical, fitness, business, youth sports, and schools. And really finding ways to connect with people, finding ways to add value in their particular communities um, has been a huge, huge part for us. Uh, I feel very comfortable saying we're a community-facing business. When people think of PT, I hope they think of our company first, just based on how involved we are. So that I think is uh, really a, a staple for a modern business. You don't want people to just set up shop and just come into the office every day and then go home. It's not nine to five. Your, your, your business goes far beyond um, the service provided within those four walls. Yeah, I, I totally agree. <clears throat> um, and then, I mean, I kind of want to, uh, kind of end it here. Um, and just ask, you know, what do, what do you, where do you guys, where do you see yourself, you know, in a few, you know, three, four years from now? Um, and you know, is there more places, locations, or is it trying to build more or bringing more PTs in the locations that you guys have? It'll be all of the above. So <laughs> we are still uh, growing with regards to at least three of the locations mm -hmm. that we have currently. Um, Frederick's pretty much in a good spot, but we are bringing on a resident uh, who will go through board certification in sports physical therapy. They'll be splitting at Frederick and Mount Airy. We view that as almost adding a half of a team member in Frederick. But Mount Airy's still growing. Germantown's still growing. Bethesda's still growing. We'll, we will also be adding physical locations uh, in the future. And then what we want to keep doing, and we just added two in the past year, but is it's services to our portfolio. Uh, we added concussion rehab. 
we added a golf fitness component with two PTs who went through a specialized uh, golf program. Uh, but we want to keep diversifying. I'm going to keep having people that come in that have those skills, those strengths that are unique. And it is up to me to serve them and ideally facilitate the area in which they want to take their career. So the ability to grow at pre-existing places, the ability to grow outside of our current footprint, and then the ability to add and diversify to the services that we're providing um, will be our focus moving forward. Is there, is there a plan for more like, um, like seminars, conference type th- stuff that you guys yep. have been doing? Um, is there, is there um, do you guys shoot for like a number of different topics or when you do these seminars or is there like one specific topic that you guys talk about the whole time or is each person sort of feel comfortable talking about, Hey, you know, I have this, I think this will be great for this seminar type thing. The seminar conversation can go different ways for our online options. They're a little bit more niche focused. They're a little bit more specific. You'll get some of our principal, principles, phases, and progressions for a more niched topic in itself. The thing that we're going to do in person more, uh, we've done this once previously, and we actually have a course next weekend on the 17th, but having the ability to deep dive into how to structure your, your, your thought processes, your way of doing things and focusing a lot more on the principles in which your thought is, um, you know, being progressed or, or pushed. I'm sorry, that was re- kind of like the wrong word choice. But principles instead of methods is really a major focus in that course. So the framework and the blueprints of how to critically evaluate a situation, a person, and then the decision-making process that follows. We don't want to have one way in which we can deliver a service. We want to have a bunch of different ways in terms of how we can bring different thought processes to the table and choose the one or a handful of methods that is most appropriate. If we niche down too much in methods, we might find ourselves in a situation where we're not choosing the appropriate toolbox and not only we're not choosing the appropriate t- tool out of the box or tools out of the box, but we're putting ourselves in a situation where we might not be using them appropriately. So really, this is we'll almost call like a, a, a blueprint to critical thinking skills. So putting you in a situation where your framework and how things um, are being viewed and delivered and assessed afterwards uh, are different as a result of interacting with the course. And, and who would you suggest, like, I mean, I know some of the courses that you guys have, uh, seminars, like, you know, a strength coach could come and or listen to, um, but would you suggest, like, for instance, this one you're, you're talking about here, would this be more PT for a PT, maybe APC, um, or could it be for anybody that just kind of wants, you know, kind of learn maybe some of the topics that you guys are discussing? It could be anyone. I mean, certainly people with a little bit more of a healthcare and fitness slant um, are, are probably best fit. But like we've had somebody come from a, 
you know, a national govern, governing body when it comes to nutrition. So, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily something they interact with all the time, but they're very health conscious themselves and they wanted to learn more. Yeah. Some of the stuff probably was over their head, but on a superficial level, hopefully everybody can pull things that may be parallels to other things that they've uh, come across before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, uh, I think, you know, it's a good, like what you guys do, uh, really does help educate the community a lot. Um, even beyond just PTs and people in the healthcare. And I think it's important that, that people, not just me or other PTs listen to it. I think it's important that some, you know, moms and dads, uh, and, and, and kids and coaches, um, because, you know, I think it's important for them, like, as you said in the beginning of this conversation, that they get educated on certain topics that they might not know about, especially if they're going to be uh, participating in sports that, you know, in, those types of injuries or those types of things might happen to them. Um, I think yep. it's for everybody to know, like, what, what the sort of way about of rehab or what they should do post whatever the trauma. So, yeah, no, I agree. And, um, you know, we've kind of been working on some of this stuff for a little while. We've done a couple of in-person courses before, but not quite with the depth that we'll be going into with the in-person courses moving forward. So we're excited. Cool. Well, Josh, uh, again, I appreciate it. It's always going to chat with you, pick your brain. Um, where can people, you know, connect with you? I know you do a ton of social media, so, um, you know, kind of relay some of the stuff that you, where people can connect with you. And then I'll obviously put it in the show notes and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, Instagram is at Dr. Josh Funk. So at Dr. Josh Funk, Twitter is Josh underscore Funk. Um, you can connect with, with me on Facebook as well, if you'd like, or email me at Dr. Funk, Dr. Funk at rehab to perform.com. That's the number two. Cool. All right, man. Appreciate it. Um, look forward to connecting with you again. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you all. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Um, you know, it was great talking with Josh, um, learning a little bit more about his journey um, to where he has like one, like a crazy, uh, fast growing physical therapy business outside of the DC area. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, please, 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 um, give us a nice little five-star rating. Please share if you find this, um, helpful and, um, you may find somebody else, you know, using this as, um, something to help them, you know, continue to, um, you know, make strides and, um, help them with their, you know, goals. Um, and if they've, you know, been in some type of, you know, pain or whatever and kind of learn ways that PT can help them out. Not only will strength and conditioning help them out, but having the combination of both um, will be really effective. So thank you all and um, look forward to talking to you on the next one. 
Thanks for listening to Train to Perform with Julian Sisman. Learn how you can work with Julian in a personal training session, either online or in person, at prepareforperformance.com. And follow on social media for more tips on training, fitness, and sports performance on Twitter at jsisman_pfp underscore PFP and Instagram at prepareforperformance.